Well, if you would this morning, turn in your Bibles to First uh, Samuel chapter three. Um, today we do um, finish up uh, this first series in this book um, called Samuel's Call. Um, next week we'll begin a series. Uh, kind of the emphasis is on the Ark of the Covenant, among other things. But um, I do hope you remember where we were uh, last week um, as we uh, saw Samuel um, hear from the Lord. Um, when he finally learns or realizes that the Lord is calling him, um, he returns to his sleeping quarters. Um, he faithfully um, responds to the Lord's voice, hears a brutal message um, concerning Eli and his two sons, Hopney and Phineas, and um, it is really, really, really bad news. And uh, I don't know about you, but being the bearer of bad news um, can be hard. Um, I heard about a man who um, had a, or his wife had a severe case of laryngitis, and it was taking a while to heal, so they had to come up with a system of communication, you know, in their home. And um, he, he decided, you know, one tap means yes, and two taps means no, and uh, 95 taps means take out the garbage, um, you know, because um, it can be hard to communicate bad news, right? You know, so uh, anyway, we, let's just begin by reading our text. Why don't you stand with me and let's read First uh, Samuel um, chapter 3. We'll start in verse 15 and we'll read to the very beginning of chapter 4. First uh, Samuel 3, uh, 15. Um, Samuel lay until morning, and uh, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Verse 19, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. You may be seated. Now our outline for the day is, is certainly going to focus on Samuel. Um, this is kind of the culmination of his growth and, and his childhood. Um, but uh, let me say this, really the emphasis of this text is ultimately on the supremacy of the Word of God, um, God's message. Um, because even as we look at Samuel, we have to understand that God has come to him. God has revealed his Word to him. God has given him a message. Now Samuel has the wisdom to understand at an early age um, that God only gives us a message in order for it to be shared. Um, even if, in some cases, it's bad news for those um, you love. It, it, I'm mindful of Jeremiah 1, um, verse 7. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth, for all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you. And I would argue that means whether it's good or bad, um, for those you'll speak to, you shall speak. Um, that's kind of the lesson that is driven home here. But um, let's break it down. We're going to do so in two simple sections again in terms of Samuel. First, we see, I believe, a humble heart. The text gives us a, a pretty good picture of young Samuel and the traits which mark him as God's man um, for Israel, even at this dark time, I think, in their history. Uh, we see his humanity. We see his compassion. We even see his discernment. Um, and maybe it'll help us remember that uh, 
as we move throughout God's Word, no matter who you're looking at in, in Scripture, um, God's prophets, they're still people. They're still human, they're still frail, they're still tempted to sin. Um, but the true prophets are always set apart by an absolute devotion to His Word and a declaration of His truth. And, and we'll certainly see that in Samuel. Uh, it starts at the very beginning here in verse 15 um, with what we'll call performance. Um, Samuel lay until morning, uh, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. We get the impression um, that God's message or God's word that came to him um, so impacted Samuel that he couldn't sleep or even really rest um, the remainder of the night. He lay until morning. Uh, you may have had a sleepless night like that in the past. And it, it also, I, I think it should strike us that he doesn't rise immediately when um, it's the break of day and run off to tell Eli the bad news. Um, he simply awaits until it's the proper time, I think, for him to resume his normal activities in the tabernacle. Um, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Uh, I suspect that was his job. Um, that was kind of his daily routine. And so when it's time, he gets up and he does that. And that's why I would call this, you know, this is the, uh, the faithful performance of his regular duties. Um, but I, I think we have to understand context. Uh, no one in Israel has been hearing um, from God at this time. Um, you may remember kind of um, that first verse in, in this chapter. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision, okay? So Samuel has experienced something that no one else was experiencing. Um, but he doesn't swell up with importance. He doesn't go around bragging. He doesn't run off to Eli to tell him what he had experienced that night. Um, all he does is he gets up and he does his job. And I would always argue that um, when we really get a word from God, when we really encounter the word of God, the first and foremost thing it should inspire is obedience um, to even um, the word itself. Um, James 4, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I think we see um, just a simple picture of the humility of Samuel here. Um, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. I think that's what we see. Um, he receives God's word. He gives it time to digest. Um, I think it keeps him awake at night because it's so stark and it's so brutal. Um, and then he just returns to his job. He certainly doesn't engage, again, in self-promotion or boasting. Um, you know, and I, I think it would be good for us if, if you have a problem with pride. Um, maybe you can't start by uh, no longer being prideful, but um, you should at least try to develop a little humility every once in a while and, and just do the right things the right way. And that's the way Samuel proceeds in this morning. Um, but it's not all that we see. We also see prudence in verse 15. Um, Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Now, you can make a case that Samuel um, just began his normal daily duties uh, perhaps out of this fear. Um, and I wouldn't argue that necessarily. Uh, but I think even this shows some, some humility, some discernment, because the news that God has given him for Eli is devastating. It really is brutal. Eli is his guardian, um, his mentor. Um, you would have to be kind of cold and heartless not to be reluctant to share the bad news that God has given you um, if you're in Samuel's shoes. Um, Samuel, I think, also is very aware that what he's been shared, what, what's been shared with him, it's true. Um, it had come from the Lord. It is therefore fixed. It, it is certain. It's going to happen. And I think he is kind enough just by nature that he doesn't find any joy in sharing this kind of me message with Eli. 
Um, now, we've, we've seen a lot of negativity surrounding Eli in the first few chapters of 1 Samuel, and um, I think it's fair uh, to see some of those things as being knocks on his character. Um, but I think like so many people in God's Word, like all of us today, um, he's not altogether bad. He's not altogether good. Um, he's somewhere in the middle. We'll see that with Saul, I think. It's, it's, it's not so easy to read God's Word and just brush everything with, with one color, so to speak. Um, Eli is a unique individual, and he has some failures, certainly. Um, but we don't see any hint, certainly in last week's text, really, and even in today's text, that, that he does not faithfully fulfill his duties to raise Samuel up as a servant of the Lord. Their relationship at least seems healthy. Um, so I, I think it's in that light that we should understand Samuel's trepidation here. Eli knows that God was speaking to him during the night. Um, there's no doubt he's going to want to know what was being shared. And Samuel hated to be the bearer of bad news. Um, but uh, what happens next, I think, is crucial to Samuel's future. And it, it tells us something um, crucial to his ministry to Israel. Um, we see persuasion next here in verses 16 and 17. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel my son and you know that's a very familial way of referring to him again we don't see anything that would say that this wasn't genuine i think um, despite how eli had failed with his own boys he had a sincere affection for samuel i think he wants to do right by samuel so he says samuel my son samuel said here i am um, and again that's respectful it's the same way um, eli had instructed him you know if god's saying something to you you go back and you say here i am for your servant hears um, same reply in a sense. Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. And may God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. Um, now God's word does not give us an interpretive key here to discern Eli's motives. Um, we've got all the freedom uh, to, to read into it whatever we want. Um, I know there are some who have read certainly um, this last portion of the text and they see it as harsh like Eli is somehow threatening Samuel with a with a curse if he doesn't reveal the message to him I don't really see it that way uh, honestly Eli's phraseology may God do so um, to you and more it appears elsewhere in scripture as a kind of of oath um, more of a solemn appeal not so much as a curse or a threat and um, we see it in Ruth um, chapter 1, when Ruth is pledging um, to remain with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Um, Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. Same phraseology. I think it was common in Israel at the time. I may do so to, more, to me and more also if, if anything but death parts me from you. I think it's just a way of, of kind of making a promise, of getting someone's attention. Now, if we consider context here... We also have to know that a prophet of God has already come to Eli prior to Samuel's experience overnight, and that prophet has delivered a very, very somber message, okay? Among other things, we saw this in, in chapter 2, and, and this that shall come upon your two sons, Hopney and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. I think there's an implication there that uh, they're not going to die of some illness necessarily. It's not going to be random. Um, God is going to judge them, and he's going to strike them both on the same day at the same time in, in a unique way. So clearly, Eli knows there's bad news coming for his family. I think he probably understands that uh, it's unlikely that anything God told Samuel could be any worse than that news. 
Um, and so I, I think he's prepared for bad news. Uh, I sincerely think in this moment he's, he's really mentoring Samuel. He's messed up with his own sons, but this is an important moment for little Samuel. Or maybe he's not so little at this point, but uh, he's a young man. And God has visited him. God has given him a message. Um, no matter what, he must declare that message faithfully. He must declare it fully, even if that means bad news for Eli and his family. Uh, James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers. And, you know, in this sense, I would say uh, prophets, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I, I think that's the, the shoes that Samuel is stepping into. And I think Eli understands that um, any judgment that he and his family is going to get, it's fixed, it's deserved. Um, this moment is way more about Samuel and his future and his mission and his ministry than it is anything else. At least that's how I, I'm going to try to read it. That's how it feels to me. Um, maybe I'm giving Eli a lot more credit than he deserves, but it, it fits the context well, uh, especially if we consider what comes next. Last thing is we see proclamation. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now, again, there's several ways to read Eli's uh, reaction. Um, to be honest, we don't know how much time has passed since that first prophet came, and, and then Samuel receives this second visitation. I, I don't think it really matters, but I, I do suspect, my opinion would be, that one kind of comes on the heels of the other. And so at this point, Eli, again, it's a double message. He knows that the word of the Lord is fixed. There's no wiggle room. Um, he also understands, I believe, as, as God's priest, whether he's been a good one or a bad one, that he and his sons are rightly in line for God's judgment. And to be honest, the entire nation has been languishing in sin. Um, Judges 21, 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So God is finally moving to bring justice. And, and Eli, the way he phrases all this, it makes it sound like he understands that there's no use resisting it. Now, here's where we have to raise a question. Is that the only way he could respond to this bad news? I don't believe it is. I believe he could have stopped and he could have sought to repent. Um, he could have um, cried out for restoration. He could have um, done something along those lines rather than simply resigning himself to the fate um, that God has expressed. Um, Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If you're still drawing breath, the door to repentance stands open. Amen? If you're here this morning, I, I don't know, you may think your goose is cooked, and I don't know what odds you're facing, I don't know what kind of situation you're in, but I'll tell you this, if, if you're here, if, if you're anywhere else, and, and judgment has not fallen, then it's not too late to cry out for grace and mercy. It's, it's never too late. Um, and I'm not saying that's even fair. Sometimes things happen that are so heinous and so beyond comprehension, they deserve judgment, and I think that's what Eli feels here. But here's the reality. When you've been given a message, when you've been told this is what you deserve for what you've done, the good news is from a gospel perspective, that's when you cry out for the shed blood of Jesus Christ to be sufficient on your behalf. Now, it doesn't give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. It doesn't mean that you can make all your consequences go away. But why not run to God and ask for forgiveness and look for restoration? Um, 2 Corinthians 6, 2, for he says, In a favorable time I listened to you in a day of salvation. I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I think you can make a case that Eli 
should have begged for repentance and, and begged his sons to do the same. Uh, but you just kind of get the impression that he, um, he knows that the time of grace has closed. Um, his sons are wicked. They resisted God for far too long. They're not going to change. And all that remains is judgment. And it's justified. Um, his words here, you know, the Lord is going to do what the Lord is going to do. <laughs> it, it, he's, he's right. Um, it reminds me of Job. That's kind of what Job says. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women um, would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And if God does good, um, that's his business. If God does um, something harsh, um, again, God is not capable of doing something evil. Don't get me wrong. But if it feels that way to us, if God's not wrong. He gets to do what he's going to do. Um, and all this Job um, did not stand with his lips. Lamentations 1.18, the Lord is in the right prophet says for I have rebelled this is speaking kind of in Israel's per, um, perspective for I have rebelled against his word but hear all my peoples and see my suffering my young women and my young men have gone into captivity and again the, the truth of the matter is the Lord is in the right what God does is right and it is just and so I'm going to give Eli credit here although his response on a personal level may not be all that we would hope for I do think he sees this as a crucial part of his mentoring of Samuel he knew that the message for his family is horrific. But he also knew that Samuel had to know that any message from God has to be delivered. Uh, no matter how harsh it is, no matter who it impacts. And one of the reasons why I would argue we still have to preach on sin and, and the consequences of sin and the need to repent today because it's a, it's a tough message, but it's the message that changes lives. It's the heart of the gospel. Okay, So even if God gives you a, a difficult message to share, there's a time and a place for that. Samuel needs to understand here that his role is changing, that he's now becoming a prophet who bears the message of God, and that message has to be faithfully, fully delivered. God sets the standard. His word announces the verdict, and, and that's kind of the scenario that Samuel is stepping into. The word of the Lord had been rare in the land, but now God is raising up a man to speak on his behalf. And a, a man in that scenario, a prophet, risks God's anger if he doesn't share the message. So Samuel, in this sense, and I think maybe Eli sees it, he realizes that this young man is joining the ranks of, of Moses and, and subsequently Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, you name it. And I believe Eli is helping him understand that. Uh, Micah 3.8, But as for me, I'm filled with power and with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare Jacob his transgression, bad news, and to Israel his sin. Um, but the prophet declares God's message, whether it's good or it's bad. And I believe Samuel is embracing this truth from the very, very beginning, uh, maybe with a little nudge here from Eli. We want to give... Eli, or I want to give Eli a little credit here because I think that's how we're to read this. And we see Samuel's response. So Samuel told him everything, and he hid nothing from him. He didn't soften the news. He didn't sweep anything under the rug, but he told him everything God had told him. And as near as we can tell from this point forward, Samuel never fails to do this. And that's a pretty, pretty high standard, by the way. Um, but we never see that Samuel has to relearn this lesson. Um, so we move from a humble heart to a godly walk. Kind of a summary statement of the beginning of Samuel's ministry and, and the echoes that run out from this. Um, this part of the text starts with the sixth and last of what you might call the, the brief summaries of Samuel's development 
uh, at Shiloh as a young man. Uh, the story of Samuel's childhood has reached its climax. Um, Eli's little push, I think, has been helpful. And, and so we see this idea that um, Samuel, yes, he's going to dwell at Shiloh, but more importantly, the Lord's going to dwell with him. And the Lord takes up residence in his life. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. I think we have to understand, um, again, there's a, a mutual nature to this connection. Uh, yes, the Lord is with Samuel, but also um, Samuel is with the Lord. And Samuel sees the need to, um, I believe, he's not perfect. He's, not, um, he's, not, he's a man like you and I are men and women, and, and so he had to um, keep short accounts. He had to spend time with the Lord. He had to listen and respond to his word and obey and preach and teach it in its full ramifications. And so I, I would argue, again, the Lord was with him, but he had a desire to be with the Lord. That's the kind of individual God uses. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. And, and I believe that's the kind of man that Samuel, um, he was becoming as we study this, and he was as he goes forward. Uh, the phrase here in this text, and the Lord was with him, appears later in the book of 1 Samuel in connection with King David. Uh, a man who, you know, in general we all say, well, David was a man after God's own heart. Well, why do we say that? Uh, well, several reasons. Um, it's what God says about him um, when he first calls him. Um, but also in 1 Samuel 16, it's what other people said about him. Um, one of the young men answered, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. He's referring to David, um, who was skillful in, in this case in playing music. Um, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him such a simple way uh, to express that um, he has a relationship with God um, that he seeks God God is is doing something in his life it's a mutual arrangement so to speak I wonder if if people would say that about us um, if that's what they see in our lives and so um, you read that about David I, I think we're to see the same thing certainly about Samuel here he, he loved the Lord um, he loved God's word as we're seeing here um, when it came to him he reflected on it he grew from it um, he declared it the word of God was taking up residence in his life as well and and changing him from for the better and I believe that's how it's still supposed to work um, Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's easy to come to a text like this and say, well, it says that the Lord was with him and, and he was with the Lord. How do we do that today? Well, the word of God. The word of God has to take up residence in our lives. Yes, you, you know, we can go into all the semantics, and sometimes I think we use it as a defense system. You get saved and redeemed, and the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life. But what's the Spirit's primary role to be? To move you toward a more intimate knowledge of Jesus. What's the simplest way to know who Jesus was and, and who Jesus is even today? It's to be in the Word of God. He is the living Word of God. He declares God to us through His expression in the Word of God. The Spirit helps us study and read and understand the Word of God. I would argue, as Samuel's learned here, obedience to the Word is the, the real key to unlocking it all. But if you want to be with God, if you want to be known as someone who knows God, you have to be in the Word. The Word is the transformative power that's right at our fingertips. And yet, the Word seems to be the thing. Wouldn't you agree that our culture neglects the most? 
There are those, they call themselves spiritual, and they have ascetic experiences or, or all these other things, and they want to have a word of prophecy and this, that, or the other. But the reality is, if you distance yourself from the clear word of God, if what you say or what you experience doesn't line up with the word of God, then it's not of God. We have churches today that are literally, they spend their time in the pulpit contradicting the word of God. How can God bless that? There's no way he can. 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture, all Scripture breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I really believe keeping our lives on track, it's not complicated. The Word of God has to be in a place of supremacy. Keeping our churches on track, it's not complicated. The Word of God has to be in a place of supremacy. That's what we're seeing with Samuel. And we can't miss uh, the, the personal overtones here in this text. I believe the gospel overtones. Uh, the Word of God is, again, it's not an inanimate object. Uh, God works in and through Samuel in this text, not without his permission or cooperation. It was personal, and it becomes personal with a personal relationship with the Lord. Remember what verse... Um, Verse 7 of this chapter told us about Samuel. It says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. I think we're meant to understand that as Samuel came to know the Lord, uh, the word of the Lord was revealed to him. One is really dependent upon the other. And I, I would argue the same is true for us today. We will not know the word until we first know the Lord. And then the two are inseparable. John 1.1 1, 1, heart of the gospel the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god this is christ incarnate he took on flesh he dwelt among us he, he lived a, a perfect life he died an atoning death on the cross to make a way for our sins the wages of sin is death what we deserve because of those sins is is death and hell and separation from god but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord but it must be personal you have to have a personal relationship with jesus it's not enough to know about him you have to know him you have to repent of your sin and ask Him to save you and redeem you. Um, John 17, 3, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You can't know the Father unless you know the Son. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Friends, have you realized that you're a sinner, and the only way you can know God is to accept Christ's sacrificial death to pay for your sins, to ask Him to forgive you and redeem you and to become your Savior and Lord. John 1.12, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And when you become a child of God, your relationship with God through Christ, the living Word begins to transform your life. And the Word of God, I believe, is the centerpiece of that. Just as it was for Samuel in this text. The word began to come to Samuel. Now, everyone knew that at Shiloh there was a prophet, and the prophet was receiving a word from God and declaring it to the people. It's the same process in spiritual life. Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
for I'm gentle and lowly and hard, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my, my burden is light. It's a beautiful verse, but it's always interesting. We, we, we read it and we, we embrace it, and yet we often dismiss the whole learn from me part. It's a relationship. It's an ongoing relationship. There's continual growth and, and, and learning to occur, and that happens best through the Word of God. Um, Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And that text actually goes on. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Friends, I would argue that one of the tragedies of our day is that we have replaced the Word of God um, with all kinds of things, most, most often personal opinions and cultural preferences. And yet, if God is truly with us, we will know Him, and we will know His Word, and it will transform us. God took up residence in Samuel's life, and Samuel dwelled with the Lord. But, we continue. We're almost done. We see residence. We see ratification. Um, Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. I believe this is the best proof that Samuel was indeed a prophet of God. Uh, you can go back to Deuteronomy 18. It says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it goes on a, a couple verses later, and it says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I've not commanded him to speak, if my word hasn't come to him, or he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. That text goes on, verses 21 and 22 of Deuteronomy 18. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the Lord has spoken, or that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. You notice what it says here in this text about Samuel. And the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground. What it means is God spoke to him, and Samuel only spoke what God spoke to him, and so everything he said happened just as he said it was going to happen. All that he spoke was fulfilled, because he only spoke that which came from the Lord. And the picture of, of words falling to the ground, I, I believe we're to see that as um, if it falls to the ground, it's a failure for it to come to fruition. Um, again, Samuel spoke only God's word, and the word always bore fruit. Uh, Joshua 21, 45, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And from his earliest days, as we see in God's first vision to him, Samuel learned that no matter what God shared, whether it was good or bad, it had to be declared. He didn't reinterpret it based upon the culture of his day. He didn't pause to consider what the politically correct movement would say. He just shared the word. Uh, Jeremiah 20, For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or, or speak anymore in his name, uh, the text goes on, There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire to sh shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. We need to be mindful of these truths, and we need to demand that our preachers and our teachers and our shepherds and our mentors continue to proclaim the truth of God's inerrant word. It's, it's the only hope we have as a people of God in our culture today. Uh, Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words 
will not pass away. It, it's a surety. It's something we can count on. It should be our rock, and yet our culture is walking away from it, and too often our churches and our teachers and our preachers and, and our members are fine with that, and that has to change, and it starts here. It starts in our hearts and our hunger and even our submission to the Word of God. Uh, Matthew 5, do you not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets? I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. That's still true. And even wicked, apostate Israel at this time, people who had no hunger from God, they hadn't been hearing from God, they suddenly came to realize that they had a prophet of God in their midst. We see recognition. Verse 20. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Why? Because God spoke to him, he declared what God spoke, and it happened over and over and over again. And at this time in Israel's history, when you see that phrase from Dan to Beersheba, that was considered the traditional limits of Israel's boundaries from north to south. It spans a distance of approximately 150 miles. Um, we first saw that phrase um, in our study of, of the book of Judges when the nation mustered out to um, interact with wicked the tribe of Benjamin and their moral failure. Uh, Judges 20 verse 1, Then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead. It's just a way, again, of saying that um, this was everybody. It's used again on three different occasions in First and Second Samuel. Um, all of Israel, from north to south, from east to west, men, women, children, righteous or wicked, they all knew that Samuel was a prophet of God. And when a man of God faithfully declares and, and, and follows God's word, it shouldn't be hard to spot. But we wrap up. There's residence, there's ratification, there's recognition. Uh, last but not least, there's ongoing, you might say, revelation. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. And the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the, by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, again, I, I don't want to chase the rabbit. In the Old Testament, um, we see God use um, dreams and, and visions and pre-incarnate appearance of Christ and angels and uh, many different mechanisms to reveal himself. But in general, I believe we're to re read this. It doesn't really matter what the mechanism is. God continued to give Samuel a message. It's based upon what God says. It doesn't matter how he came, okay? Um, and here's the reality. What we understand is the New Testament era, we have been given his message. There's no ongoing need for revelation because we have been given a completed word of God, okay? He, he's not going to keep speaking. He speaks through this. And because we're not listening to this, you can assume his silence. It's unfortunate, but it's true, okay? So it doesn't matter how the, the word came in this scenario. The re reality is the word. God spoke to Samuel and, and continued to reveal himself that way. And yet again, you, you remember uh, the, the tone of this chapter. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Now we have to see that Samuel's willingness to receive and follow follow God's word, it leads to the Lord continuing to appear or at least speak to Samuel in Shiloh. Again, the text doesn't dwell on how he does so, but it tells us again and again that he does so to the point where Samuel's word became equivalent to the Lord's word. And we see, I believe, in a big picture sense, that when, when the nation of Israel was in crisis, what did God do? Well, he sent him his word. 
God's response to Israel's leadership crisis was the provision of his word. And we're to read this, I believe, as a positive thing, right? Now, see, you should be out ahead of me just a little bit. If we as a people are living in a time of crisis, what is God going to do? See, the, the pattern throughout history has been that when people are in crisis, God sends them his word. He may use a man, he may use some event, he may use this, that, or the other, a prophet or a preacher or a teacher, or what, but the reality is we've already been given the word. We're sleeping on it. We're, we're not listening to it. I would even argue, and I don't want to teach a, a, a political science class, but you know, I, I do believe we're to pray for Israel. It breaks my heart what is happening uh, in Israel, but the reality is Israel has a promise from God. They're in a covenant with God, but they have strayed from God. They've run from God. They've missed the Messiah. They need to hear this word. It's the solution to all their problems. It's not a justification for what Hamas or anybody else is doing. Please don't hear that. But what I'm telling you is that when God wants to do something in the lives of his people, he speaks through his word. And he does that with Israel here. I believe he's still doing that with us today. And it was good for Israel that the word of the Lord was no longer rare. It was good that the Lord appeared again to Samuel. It was good that the word of the Lord came through Samuel to all of Israel. It was good. And yet we do not esteem the word of God in our generation. And we can hear his word and we can believe his word and we can obey his word. And it's always good. Hebrews 1, long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He, he spoke to us through Jesus the living incarnate word of God and now he continues to speak through the word of God. Friends, do you have a personal relationship with the very living word of God his son, the son of God, Jesus Christ? And if you do can the Lord trust you with his word? Do you receive it? Do you apply it? We're going to have a time of invitation, and I, I hope you understand something. If there's, if there's sin in our lives, if we're struggling, um, there's some issue that needs to be dealt with and repented of and, and all that, but the Word of God is not the problem. Maybe our alignment to the Word is the problem. The Word of God is always the solution. The Word of God is truth, and it is life-changing Let's do business with the Lord and His Word this morning. If you would stand with me, let's respond to Him.